Hello and welcome back to the Contemplative Tribal Podcast. Here we continue on the conversation that we left off from the previous episode, namely the flight from finitude. If you have not listened to the previous episode, I strongly encourage you to go back and give it a listen because a lot of these things that we talk today in this episode will make sense in light of the discussion from the previous episode. So go ahead and give that a listen and come back and and you will find this discussion a lot more meaningful. But having said that, today's episode is focused on providing or rather exploring practical tips on how we might go about addressing and redressing the particular problem that we are looking at, which is the aversion towards old age, aging, and generally towards death. And as human beings who all collectively experience this phenomenon of aging, how might we understand this in a healthy way? And how might we march forward confidently into the future? And as I always say, I want to remind you that I appreciate you joining in and participating in this conversation. I hope you'll find something that inspires you, motivates you, and makes you think. So this phenomenon that we just went through, this aversion towards age, old age, and our limitedness, towards our limitedness, this phenomenon has given rise to a climate in our contemporary society that the British sociologist Geoffrey Gorer calls the pornography of death. It's a very provocative titled article that he wrote in 1955, The Pornography of Death. And I want to just dwell on this and talk about it for a bit. The British sociologist Geoffrey Gorer makes some interesting observations on the difference between cultural attitudes towards death in the Victorian era and our own today. In 1955. In his 1955 article, The Pornography of Death, Gore points out that death is treated in 20th century society, much like sex was treated in the 19th century. The subject is avoided, especially with children, or spoken of in euphemisms, if it cannot be avoided. Death now, like sex then, is hidden, an event which takes place behind closed doors. The opposite is also true. In the 19th century, death was discussed as freely and openly as sex is today. If, as Freud has postulated, society is founded upon and defined by its repressions, our society has undergone a psychological about-face since the 19th century. End quote. So one of the things that happens when death becomes pornography is that there's an obsession, just like sex, there's an obsession with death, but it's abstracted from the natural human emotion, which is, in the case of sex, supposed to be affection, but in the case of death, supposed to be grief. But at the same time, just like sex back then, death is unmentionable. You don't talk about it. And like pornograph- sexual pornography, it introduces unrealistic, unnatural depictions that's sensational, That that's um, news highlight worthy. And it strips us from the ability of the ability to respond to the event or experience of death in a natural way. Just quite similar to how sexual pornography strips us of our ability to respond in the event of actual 
uh, sexual relationships. So it strips us of the ability to respond or experience or relate to death in a healthy and in a natural way, while making the topic of death as a taboo. So there's an obsession with death as we see it in the news. There's an obsession with death, but this obsession is abstracted from its natural emotion, which, as I mentioned, is grief. So there's a repression of the topic or the discussion on death, on aging, on suffering, on pain, and on decay. And death and aging has become grotesque. It's made into a taboo that we don't talk about, we don't address, we hide away, we mask it, we cover it with colors of vigor, uh, mask it to look flowery. And in a similar way, maybe in a more lighter way, but in a similar way, the idea of aging, the idea of growing up, is treated as well. At the end of the day, aging is a milder form of the process of death. Our aging, our limitedness, our finitude, these are all treated in the same way. Not quite as starkly as death, uh, as claimed uh, in the pornography of death, but in a similar way. We don't talk about it. We avoid it because we have, some. in some cases, we have unrealistic expectations. And simply we don't know how to live with it. We don't know how to deal with it. And to the extent that it is taboo, we don't talk about it. Uh, and at least we don't talk about it as much as we talk about beauty or vigor or power or efficiency or youthfulness. You know, those things get the attention. They get the news, highlights. But we don't as much talk about the other side of reality, which is decay and wrinkles and age and weakness and suffering. So we're scared of addressing our finitude. We're paranoid of admitting to the fact of our decay. What would be the way to address this in our society, in, in our own lives? I think it's very important to recapture the meaning and the value of our limitedness. As I mentioned, this has to do with our societal expectations and the climate in our society that, that demands power, that demands effectiveness and youthfulness. And at the expense of devaluing, at the expense of this, uh, disregarding old age and wisdom and experience and all that comes with age. I think we need to recapture the value and the meaningfulness of, of aging, of our limitedness. And there's a powerful article that I would like to just mention again. It's called The Sacral Power of Death. It's written by William F. Mays, in which he tries to argue for a recapturing of the sacred power of death, to recapture the mystery and the humility uh, in admitting to our own limitedness. He's writing as a psychologist, if I'm not mistaken, but he writes about how the concept, the idea of death, the idea of our limitedness, and by extension, the idea of aging needs to be understood in its sacredness, in its meaningfulness. Of course, we, as far as the Christian tradition is concerned, there's a lot that we can take out, take away, that benefits us to help us to look healthily at the idea of aging. Within the Christian tradition, there's there are a couple of meaningful ways to talk about this. The first is that there's an element of mystery in life. There's an element of humanness. We are humans. We are created. The creatureliness of all of us means that we are finite. We are limited. And we rejoice and we celebrate in that limitedness because we don't claim to be God 
who is infinite. And because of our limitedness, we are dependent on God. We trust in God. As Christopher Lash puts it, revolt from nature. In other words, the process of aging is the process of nature in our life. Revolt from nature is revolt against God, against the reality of our dependence on forces external to ourselves. Within the Christian tradition, secondly, we need to remember that there is more to life than this present moment. There is more to life than this present being that you are, where you are and who you are, what you are. There's a deeply spiritual understanding of life that accepts our finitude and also accepts that we are going somewhere. Where we are now, as beautiful, as wonderful as we are, as powerful as we feel we are, there's more ahead of us. And the acceptance of our finitude, of our small, of our limitedness, and the acceptance that where we are going, where we're headed, what we are becoming is more, is better. That allows us, that gives us the chance to accept the change, accept our limitedness and accept what happens in our life. And thirdly, within the Christian tradition, we need to learn to place our value and live for something beyond ourselves. Ultimately, that has to be God. As Christians, we believe it has to be in God. But on a practical level, try to find a cause, live for a cause, fight for a cause, live for something beyond yourself, or even just simply live for your children, um, live for, for the people around you, live for your community, live for your village, or live for your, your, the, the people that you work for. Live for them, live for something beyond yourself. And when you do that, you realize that in order to build something beyond ourselves, we have to move away from the present moment and we have to step into the future. Stepping in the f into the future means that you have to learn to lose and to let go of what you are now. The very thing that makes us paranoid about aging, right? Stepping into the unknown is always scary. But letting go of where you are now, what you are now, so that the thing that you are building can take shape and can be built up. So there's a lot of things that we could do to redress this problem, this aversion towards aging, the, the reality that is universal for all of us. So friends, do not be apologetic for your limitedness. Your limitedness, your finitude, is what makes you human. So let's remove that inflated self-perception and image that you are infinite, you are boundless in your potential and all that nonsense. And let's get rid of that image that you want to convey to the world and instead embrace who you are with your limitedness and walk into the future. Secondly, when you see something that has the marks of years and time, whether it's your grandparents or it's your parents or it's you in the mirror or maybe it's an old building or the road or the trees, I hope that you will not disregard it. Pay attention to it because in our obsession for novelty, our, in our obsession for what is new, what is sensational and what is promising, I hope that we will not gloss over the things that are old, that are wise and many years that are embedded in them because these are repositories of wisdom that are distilled through years and decades 
of reflecting on life and death, on love and hate, and on joys and pains. And when we do that, let's not just give lip service, but truly lean in and look for insights and wisdom from them. As Christopher Lash puts it, psychoanalysis confirms the ancient religious insight that the only way to achieve happiness is to accept limitations in a spirit of gratitude and contrition instead of attempting to annul those limitations or bitterly resenting, resenting them. Thirdly, the question of how do we then talk about death and aging? A nice solution is offered in the article The Sacral Power of Death. And the author there, William Hayes, he offers what is called the language of indirection. The language of indirection. In the same way that the Jews talk about God. You know, the Jews never mention the name of God, never address the name of God, never talk directly to with the name of God. Even though they have direct acknowledgement of God, there is indirect addressing. Even though the Jews do not mention or say the name of God, it doesn't mean that they don't talk about God or they don't acknowledge God. In a similar way, we need we don't need to be crude and you, we don't need to be crass and brutal in our treatment of, of our finitude and of death. But at the same time, we should not neglect it either because it's always there. But as we make life decisions, all our life decisions are taken with the idea of our finitude and ultimately of the limitedness in the background. So the language of indirection, we, we talk about it, we acknowledge it, we, we don't deny or neglect or ignore the, the important role that it plays in our life. Acknowledge it, but we don't, we're not crass or we're not crude about it. And finally, traditionally, we come from a rich cultural heritage that prioritizes old age, experiences of the aged, wisdom and words of our elderly. And as a tradition, we value, we place enormous value on the gray hair of our old people and the years of our apau and apai. If others around the world are shy and averse about their limitedness, about the age, that's not so for us. That should not be this, the case for us. And also traditionally, we come from a live view that attributes our meaning and our purpose to the community, to the generations that have gone before us and to those that are coming ahead of us. Our ideals and our values invite us to live not for ourselves alone, as Clifford Gies observes, but for our family, for our clan, for our village, ultimately for others. Remember the ancient religious insights of living on through your children and through the generations and through others. Remember how people lived for their legacy, whether their deeds would be made into legends. As Samwise said in Lord of the Rings, I wonder if people will sing of us in their great halls. Remember that according to the classic Christian theology, the order of life is like this, justification, sanctification, and then glorification, which comes at the point, at the moment of our death, of our, of our passing from this world to the next. Remember that our glorification comes at the end, when we pass on through the process of aging and into the next. And as other traditions, such as the Orthodox Church in uh, the Eastern Church puts it, death only marks the final and complete point of our entry into salvation. There's something they call theosis or deification. Put simply, 
It's a moment when you finally become one and united with God. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2 says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Psalm 90.12 Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So what do you think about all this? I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to put in a comment on the WordPress site or on the Instagram post and let me know what are your views and what are your thoughts on this. And if you find this content useful and helpful, share it with your friends, share it with your family. But for now, take care and I'll catch up with you on the next episode.